Hi, and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show, where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of stroke-focused podcasts. This is Cam, your host. Today I'm with Catherine Dunning, and Catherine became a stroke survivor at the age of 35. At the time, she was an avid runner, participating in various races and marathons whenever she could. She was, of course, young, active, and healthy, and suffered a stroke in her sleep. That was the last thing that she was expecting. She later found out her stroke was due to a patent foramen ovale, and some of you may know these words, but it's P. F-O, a congenital hole in the heart. And about 25% of the population has a PFO. And although most of these patients do not experience strokes, sometimes a blood clot can pass through the hole into the heart and up to the brain causing a stroke. And this can happen to people of all ages and maybe even multiple times without uh, the presence of typical risk factors. So we're going to talk to her about, after her diagnosis and the procedures or procedure that she went through, and she's been stroke-free for eight years now, but we're going to find out what she's doing now, what she felt like at the time, all sorts of things. So we will introduce Catherine. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. As I told you before, I love talking to people and I love finding out the stories behind our strokes because each one of us has an individual experience. We've all had a stroke, okay, but each one of us has had something different. And you had a PFO, which, you know, of course, you didn't know about before. So tell me a little bit about what you did before your stroke. I live in Montana, and I was working in field biology and was basically outside and living and working outside in the field for weeks, usually Monday through Friday. Then that job in particular required lots of, I mean, we probably carried 30, 40-pound packs for 10, 15 miles every single day, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And at that time, you know, when, when you're living and working outside, it's, you just, you become almost a different person. And then I transitioned into a desk job, which was very, uh, you know, dif- a little bit difficult for somebody who was used to being really, really active. Mm-hmm. So I did, so I took up running at that particular point in time because, <laughs> because I think my coworkers would have strangled me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't sit so well. <laughs> so, yeah. So I started. So I started running trails and was was a and I you know I was living in Bozeman, Montana at the time, and running trails big time. Waking up in the morning and and heading out with my dogs, usually five ten miles in the morning. Sometimes five ten miles in the evening too, because we have such beautiful trails. It just makes it it makes it easy. And and one day, one day I had I had been out running on a trail that I had been on a billion times, and I was running down a hill and suddenly couldn't figure out. I hit a creek crossing and suddenly couldn't figure out where to put my feet on the rocks to get across, and it scared me. It honestly sent me into a something is absolutely wrong. 
this is something I've done. This is something I know how to do. Why can't I figure this out? So I just decided, I just decided to run through the water and go see a doctor because it was alarming. And it, and it was, and it seems like a minor thing, I think, to most people. But if it's something that, again, if it's something that you do every day and it's something that you're accustomed to, you know, to suddenly have the inability to do that is, you know, it's alarming. So I went right. to see a doctor and, and I had explained just that. But I, you know, and I was, I was experiencing other things like when I woke up in the morning, instead of bouncing out of bed, I was really tired, like really tired, but I still ran because I was, that's what I did. So, you know, when I went to see that, see a doctor, it was, you know, I'm sure to them when I said something's wrong, I can't figure out how to cross this creek all of a sudden and I wake up tired for my first 10 mile run of the day. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't really send, send off alarm bells in doctors' minds. And, and because like all of my staff came back, like, you know, this is a super healthy person. And that's exactly what the doctor saw, mm-hmm. a very healthy person. So the recommendation at that particular time, and, and quite honestly, I thought it was wise, was was having stress, stress in my life, stress in my job, you know, or, you know, maybe I needed counseling so yoga you know some sort of you know way to unwind which is it which is actually a very reasonable explanation it wasn't correct but it was a very reasonable explanation and then so I did all of those things because you know the doctor said and I was just trying to do right by my health so I was starting to I thought I was starting to feel maybe a little bit better but I was still still really slow when there were days where I just felt like, my gosh, I can't get through this thick sleep uh, and this horrible feeling. And, but I still was, you know, living my life as I normally had. And anyway, so I had gone, I had gone on a, on a just spectacular run and it was just what that first beautiful spring day and in the mountains and everything was starting to bloom. And it just, it, and I, you know, I, I extended my usual 10 miles, an extra couple because I just couldn't, I couldn't not. And then I went, and then I went home, you know, and just like you normally do and did, did everything that I normally do. And, and I, and I went to bed like you normally do, except, except I didn't wake up the next morning and I didn't like, I didn't wake up at all the next day. I woke up two days later. And with one of my dogs lying on my chest, because she could go out the dog door, but she couldn't feed herself, and she was ready. <laughs> she was ready to eat. Oh. And she was, so she was lying on my chest and slapping me in the face with their paws, which I was, you know, at the time I had no idea what was happening, and I just thought, wow, she's kind of pushy this morning. <laughs> but I had, but I, you know, I had lost the day. I had no idea that I had as of this point in time, and I got up. Uh, you know, again, all normal activities, but that's when I realized that something wasn't right because I couldn't, I couldn't see straight. I couldn't stand up. Like as I walked down the, the hall, I was banging up like from wall to wall because I had mm-hmm. no balance and I was exhausted, right? I did, it was all I could do to just put food in their bowls. And then I, and then I sat down and, and was like, and stared at my phone to try to figure out and it, why I couldn't see it, and then why it said Saturday, because I kept thinking, what happened? 
I thought it was Friday. Something wrong with this phone. I mean, there was a lot of confusion and there was, because none of it made any sense. So I eventually got a ride to the ER and they did test after test and, and finally had told me that it, I had had a stroke and it was actually my second stroke. You know, that's interesting because when you said about couldn't figure out how to get over the rocks and the stream. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about because I was in the ER because I had experienced my stroke or I was having a pre-stroke before the real mm-hmm. stroke. But I walked out of the ER with being told it was vertigo. And oh, yeah. And apparently that's huge because I've talked to more people who've been told that they had vertigo because I had no outward signs of stroke. So I went to go home. Fortunately, somebody else was driving because every right turn, not left, but right turn, I would black out. And I just said, we've got to go back. I know. Weird. But when we got back to the emergency room, I could not figure out how to get out of the car. And I had a, an attendant with a wheelchair standing there wanting me to get out of the car. And I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. like, and you're like I don't think. know. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I'm like, let me think. I've got, I said, don't, don't, don't quit, quit yelling at me. Don't, you know, I, yeah. I, I got to figure yeah. this out. And my mom had been driving and she's like, just get out of the car. And I couldn't even voice that I couldn't figure out yeah. how to get out of the car. You know, so I understand yeah. that confusion, and maybe others do who've had a stroke, but right. that that's huge because, well, I wasn't scared of it. I was just like, why? I don't get this. Right. Yeah, but, and that is it. I had no, I wasn't afraid in, in many yeah. ways. I just was like, this, is, this isn't right. This can't be right. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it, and, I know and, this is in here somewhere. And you can't explain it to anyone. I never really said anything about it until much later, in fact, probably months after the stroke, because I still couldn't voice some of these things knowing what was wrong. Or, I I mean, I knew what was wrong at that time, but figuring out why I couldn't do that or why I couldn't answer the questions or... Mm -hmm. If they just asked that one more question, I could have, maybe they would have figured it out earlier or or something. Right. But, yeah, so, you know, just so people know, these are weird things to us when it happens, but but it's real life. It, it, you know, it's what some of us experience, something that we do every day that we should be able to figure out. Suddenly we couldn't. Right. So, and part of that yeah. is, is that you're in a, in a state of like, this doesn't make any sense. And how do, how do I, even, and you try to make sense of it, but right. they're really, I mean, it's, and I remember even saying to the doctor, something's wrong. And I right. realized that's vague. <laughs> right. But, but well, that's, that's, yeah, but that's mm. the only way I can describe it is right. I know that something's not right. And right. and in retrospect, I can think of all sorts of things that I should have said, but at the time, well, and, that's that's all yeah. the language that I had. Right, and and this is what I'm saying, though they were asking me questions, the standard yeah. questions, and I was yeah. answering that question. But if they'd pushed it one more, 
you know, right, or, right, you know, right. something else. Because I couldn't think past that one question, you know, to right. say other than I was blacking out in the car, I couldn't tell them, you know, about anything. So they still admitted me to the hospital with vertigo because they thought, well, it got so bad that I was blacking out. But what they didn't understand was when I woke up from those blackouts, which were just seconds, I couldn't tell where I was, up, down, sideways, oh. you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that mm-hmm. might be a part of vertigo. I don't know. But I think mm-hmm. if they had gone into more detail with stuff like that, but again, I didn't show any outward signs. My arms were fine. My face was fine. I've never stopped talking, you know? <laughs> so they yeah. had no clue. But, you know, well, they, yeah, and the, it, ex- yeah. exactly. That was the exact same situation with me because they were like, uh, no. I, and I truly don't know if I would have believed someone. If I would have believed a doctor who said, I think you may have had a stroke. Because I would have been like, right. me? Yeah. Right. That doesn't make any sense. I'm 35 years old and, and I, and I, and a runner and I'm active yeah. and I'm outside all the time. This doesn't make any sense. I don't fit any, any of the criteria that I, that I've come to know. Right. As well, and that's true. true. But we, we do know, as I've talked about many times, is that stroke can happen to anybody, any age, uh, black, white, you know, uh, Chinese, Japanese, African American. It doesn't matter. You can be so poor that you can't, you know, you live in a tent or you can be, you know, so wealthy you don't know what to do with your money. It doesn't matter. And No, no, know, it's true. And, and we do know that there are risk factors, but we also know that for whatever reason, people have a stroke. Now, exactly. I have some risk factors, but they didn't worry about those. I was, everything was under control. You know, mine was a genetic deformity. You ended mm-hmm. up having this CFO. So mm-hmm. I want to know about that because I've heard Facebook pages and different things that I've read. I've heard about PFOs, but right. I never knew anything about them until yeah. I had my stroke. I, so I know like enough to be dangerous about <laughs> what I know. Right, right. Tell us about that. Right. So, so PFO is essentially it's it's a hole in the heart that everyone has in utero, and it allows blood rich in oxygen from you know the mother to bypass the baby's lungs, which aren't even functioning until the baby is born. Right. So, it's a hole that we all have, but then once we once we're born, normally it closes. But in a small minority of people, myself being one of them, it doesn't close. And it that allows basically a gateway for blood clots to pass from the right side to the left side of the heart and possibly leading to a stroke. And my entire life, I've been told periodically at, at you know, health screens or, or physicals, you know that you have a slight murmur. But no one ever said, do you have any, you know, they basically said, do you have any problems or ask kind of questions mm-hmm. and I just shake my head like, no, it, I, yeah, no, I, and I, and sometimes it wouldn't get picked up. It was, 
So, mm-hmm. you know, it was one of those like, oh, you know, pay attention to it. But if it's not causing you any problems and I, you know, that and that that was considered the problem. But I didn't know until and at 35, um, I was told that you have a slight change in circulation. So so that so it's kind of the age when this sort of thing, if there is a hole, it's more likely to, you, you may or may be more likely to throw a clot around that particular point mm-hmm. in time. Um, so, so that was, I just sort of had, I don't know, it was sort of the, the ticking time bomb. <laughs> and yeah. just, you know, the conditions were just right. Yeah. So it sounds like most people who have this may not be diagnosed Right, that they yeah. didn't take it further. And from what I've read, that there are a lot of people that had this and then had yes. the stroke. And yes. most of them are younger. Yeah. You know, you, like you said, 35-ish, uh, you know, I don't yeah. know how healthy they were beforehand, but I don't understand why it's not found, being that, you know, there was a murmur. Why didn't somebody do a chest what? deck? Or which is which is it's true it's true what's what's interesting to me is when you read about PFO they typically will say you don't know that you have a PFO until you have a stroke and so stroke is a symptom (laughs) and when I first read that I was like wait 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 no stroke is not a symptom (laughs) no (laughs) like no a cold is a symptom (laughs) right. Like a well, runny nose. A, a, That's a symptom. A, I was going to say a runny nose or a cough yeah. or something. Yeah. So, so your symptom though was fatigue That's and true. not being able yeah. to find your way through a creek or yeah. you know the confusion, especially, and then knowing that you slept for over a day and you yeah. know, yeah, those are symptoms. Stroke is those not symptoms. a symptom. Stroke is <laughs> a diagnosis, and PFO is a diagnosis. A murmur yeah. is a symptom, you know. So yeah. anyway, that's just mm-hmm. my take on it. But <laughs> right, right. But I do, yeah, I do find it. I find it interesting that they're saying PFO was the ultimate cause, and a stroke is maybe a symptom that you have a PFO. And and I was considered by several doctors almost immediately as textbook PFO patient simply because of my age and my health status. Um, uh-huh. I had no other risk factors that fit. So, so they, so they, so it was pretty much assumed that PFO was the, was the cause of these strokes. So tell us about now what happens well, I guess what happened immediately afterwards, you had surgery maybe to close that hole? So, but, so which is an interesting, actually an interesting component of PFO because, because there's a lot of, there was, there was for years and then in 2010, it was still kind of an iffy, we don't know necessarily whether or not that hole is the cause. And so a lot of doctors, the, the option were blood thinners or aspirin or warfarin or something along those lines or or closure and and there was a big debate for a long time about whether to close these the, the these holes or not was as, as being why like, wouldn't you close yeah. <laughs> i mean seriously well, that's, that's, 
that's exactly how I felt. Because the, the idea being, well, we don't know that that is the ultimate cause. And in some cases, we can just give there, you know, there, there were people who, who were on just aspirin and, and were doing okay or not having a recurrence of stroke. But, but I was, I was absolutely like, no, throw it all at me. If you told me to wear like a, I don't even like a metal suit for the rest of my life so that I don't have another stroke again, I would do it. <laughs> because, right. Because, I I don't ever want this to happen again. And some of it, I think, might be because because those are more minor strokes. And so the thinking is, you know, maybe it's a blood. I I don't necessarily know why that option, the option of just blood thinners is chosen. Yeah. But for me, the right thing to do is. It's a hole in the heart. Why would you leave that open? I mean, I don't Well, that's. If it's a cause of stroke or not, you know it's there. Close it up. <laughs> That's exactly what my thinking was. Exactly. Yeah. What the heck? Um, and and so so when it came down to, uh, we got down to here's where we're at. And and my cardiologist, the cardiologist that I worked with, was amazing, and and really just phenomenal. And I worked with a lot of different doctors that weren't so great. <laughs> But I found yeah. other doctors, and, and part of it, part of part of that was for me, you know, being somebody who like really valued, really valued my health, and really valued being physically active. I had my focus on where I wanted to get again. I mean, I I was I basically after that second stroke was pretty much unable to see straight or walk straight or talk straight for a long time, and that was devastating. So my whole goal was to get as back to that point and better, really, right. uh, than I was before the stroke. So, so with that in mind, you know, I then started talking about, well, what are my options for closure? And and the options for closure were that I was given was a amplatzer septal occluder, which is looks like a little drain cover, <laughs> um, uh-huh. and I. I have a nickel allergy, and so and so as the doctor is explaining to me what how he's going to insert this device, and and explaining the entire procedure, I'm staring at it, going, "Oh my gosh!" You know, when I wear you know cheap costume jewelry, my ears just puff up in in infected nastiness. What if my heart does this? And I and I express this to the doctor, and he just looks at me, and I and I of course know, and I say, I'm well aware that this. This is medical grade nickel, not cheap costume jewelry nickel that you're right. putting in that you're proposing to put in my heart. But it made me nervous, and I don't know that I don't know if this is going to be if I'm going to be okay feeling. And then so he actually being an amazing doctor kind of nodded and said, "All right, let me think about it." And I I went home and did research to kind of figure out more about this particular device because I was really concerned. What are you putting in my body? It's going to live in my heart. I feel like I should know what this is. Um, right. And he he walked in at the, the next appointment and hands me a pamphlet and said, "I think I've I think I found it. I think I found exactly what you need." And and I looked at it and it said Gore Septal Occluder. I just looked at him and I said, "Gore like Gore Tex like Gore Windstopper." For me, at that particular point in time, being an athlete and being somebody who was outside all the time, who lived and worked outside, 
I, mm-hmm. Gore was a name that I knew. I, you know, this was a company that I like swore by. So I, I had this tremendous sense of, oh my gosh, I'm going to make it because, because I have like, I've got this doctor that I have all the confidence in the world in. And, and now he's proposing putting, putting a Gore device in my heart and Gore has like, gotten me through so much. So I know that I'm going to get there. And, for, and that was what I needed in terms of like just both the confidence and the trust in, in, in what was, in what my outcomes are and getting the best, getting to the best outcome um, was where I wanted right. to go. So that was, oh, why, that was why I chose it. Absolutely. That's right. I was just going to say that's half the battle is finding a doctor that you believe in. I mean, I can't yes. tell you how many times I've read, I've switched neurologists yes. every fourth visit or something because they say something ridiculous and then won't yes. listen to what I'm saying. Or, you know, they just, I just go in, tell them I'm feeling better or worse or whatever, and then they're gone. Or, you know, uh-huh. I don't know, you know, that's mostly neurologists that I hear about, but there are those stories about cardiologists and, and oh, yeah. rehab physicians and internists and, and, you know, I'm fortunate like you. I had many doctors that were wonderful. They've all listened to me and do we plan what goes on or they ask the questions and I answer more questions and we figure out what the next step is and what to do and and if this is going to work for me and things like that. So I want to point out to people that are listening that if you don't feel like you're being listened to or that you don't feel like somebody, you know, a physician or, or medical personnel or whatever you want to call them all, they're not listening to you or they're not trying to help you in a way that you feel you need to, you don't have to stay with them. Go find right. somebody. I know. <laughs> you know, do exactly. what you want. Ask questions. You know, do some research sometimes. Sometimes you don't need to do the research. Sometimes you already know these things deep down inside. And and so question, 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 because doctors are people and they are not, they are not all knowledgeable in all things medical. Now they are knowledgeable. And they all have, right. And they have, they have their own perception of, Right. Health. Again, for me, because I had, here's where I wanted, I wanted to be at a certain level. And, and there, you know, I, I ran into a lot of doctors that were like, wait, what, why, why, why would you want to do that? Because right. they weren't, that wasn't important to them. So, I, right. so for me, I would sit down and say, ask questions like, I would ask questions about their life and the things that are important to them. Do you get outside? Do you run? you know, do you ski? Do you, you know, like what, what's it, you know, just, and they'd look at me funny and like I was trying to have a casual conversation and, and it was nice because they would, they would offer information to me, but a lot of times that was key information because if they, if they were like, no, I'm not, you know, I'm mostly, I mostly work and, and I read Mm -hmm. a lot and and I'd be like, that's great. And then I'd listen to their answers. And a lot of times their answers to me, weren't on board with the direction I needed to go. They were going right. to get me somewhere, but not where I needed to go. So I had to stay focused on me 
and right. my needs. And yeah, and well, recognize and, that it's a yeah. doctor. It's a, it's a, they're a practitioner. They're, you know, they, they, right. they may all be wonderful people, but they might not all fit you. Right. And where well, you need and, to go. And they're reading. They're yeah. reading their yeah. information. I mean, not all of them, but yes. but they are reading this stuff. And if it's not something they know about and they're reading it and they're not familiar with it, they may not right. understand other things. But then you have those wonderful guys and gals that yes. not only read it, but they listen to what you say and they may go and read some more or they may right. find right. information or, you know, whatever it is or They've worked with stroke patients so much that they do know things or they do know that things aren't always what they seem or that they need to do. So, you know, I'm just saying to everyone, and, and I think you are too, to question, to talk to them, to, you yeah. know, make them spend an extra 15 minutes with you. Sorry, guys, but, you know, you sit there and you listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, mostly I, I, the way I viewed it was, I'm assembling my healthcare team, mm-hmm. and and so I'm selecting who is who I want to help to help me get where I want to go. So, right. so if a doctor said, "Here's what you need to do," and and kind of the, you know approached it from a "I'm in charge," like they were in mm-hmm. charge perspective, I was like, "No, we're not. You're not on my. We're not, mm-hmm. You're not." That's not a team attitude. <laughs> and right. I need to be as much a part of this, and I need you to recognize me as a part of this, and my voice as a part of this, and the things that I'm advocating for that are important to me. Like my cardiologist actually listening to me when I said, I know this sounds silly, but it makes me nervous. Right. So right. for him to say, okay, no, that's important. That's really important. Right. And and to me that said, okay, you're amazing. <laughs> Right. That's who I want to work with. Yeah. Right. So eight years after your stroke, how do you feel now? Uh, so eight years, yes. And I, I think that's, you know, a lot of, a lot, I talk to a lot of different stroke patients that are in different phases or they're, they're thinking about wh- what to do or, or what direction to go in. And one, I'm really glad that I chose to have my PFO closed, especially now because Especially now because I understand because the that. FDA, yeah. <laughs> the FDA has has approved closure of or has approved this these devices for closure for PFO, and Gore sort of led uh, a lot of that research, and and I'm you know extremely excited about that because a lot of a lot more patients have that option available to them. For me, at at the time, it was it was considered exploratory because it it didn't have FDA approval. So I just, I had to like basically say, fine, you know, let's do this anyway. But now it has a lot of, there's a lot of research behind it. There's a lot of good things to support this as a, as a, as an effective method, more so than medical therapy alone. So given that that's the case, and now I am eight years past that, I have not had any problems the procedure itself was cake, right? It was, it was like, it was one of those things where, again, I talked to a lot of, of people who are worried because, because it's surgery or it feels, you know, invasive. And I'm like, no, it's, it's outpatient. You go in in the morning, you go home in the evening and, and, and trust me, it's much easier than having a stroke. 
right? Having a stroke mm-hmm. that takes so much away from you, if you if you can do something to prevent that, um, at some point earlier, you know, if if you had a minor minor er stroke than I had mm-hmm. suffered, to be able to have that closed and then and then have that peace of mind, right? And, and to be able to to move forward and move your life forward because that that was a difficult period. There was a difficult mm-hmm. period after. Again, the, the closure procedure was super easy. I had no problems, none whatsoever. I mean, I was two days later. I was I was going for walks again, um, and feeling wow. like okay, yeah, yeah. So I mean, granted, slow walks, <laughs> yeah, but, but, but still, still, right? Yeah. Okay. One more question. Sure. What have we not covered now that you might like to? expand on or add? I think really you hit it the strongest. When when we both started sort of really advocating for people to be their own advocates for their health. Mm-hmm. And and for, for me to say, for me to be able to open up a dialogue with my cardiologist and say, no, I, I want to look at other other options for this device that you're going to put that, that will live in my body forever. I want to feel comfortable with it, and I and and finding finding this finding the score device made me feel gave me such peace of mind, and and it really did I think play a big role in helping me move forward. And and again, so so I think having that focus and that advocacy on you and what you need and where you personally want to go, I think is is the most important thing. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hand in Hand show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to keep the discussion going, please join Stroke Focus, the social media website dedicated to stroke survivors and caregivers. The website address is http.com. P.S. colon backslash backslash www.strokefocus.net. Stroke Focus is S-T-R-O-K-E-F-O-C-U-S. Stroke Focus is a part of Wohala, which in Mandarin means I have survived. If you wish to be a part of the show or would like to be interviewed as part of the show, please contact us at contact at strokefocus.net.